Is it good? Is it too loud? Okay. I'm ready to go. Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on December 8th, 2013, second week of Advent. Today's message is, The Best Thing Imaginable Has Happened to You, by Pastor Isaac Whiting, based on John 1, verses 1 through 14, and today's special music is the choir. Well, good morning. Today we're going to take a look at John chapter 1, one of the best passages in the entire Bible, an excellent Christmas text. I'll first tell you a story, and then we'll talk about this passage in three parts. First, God creating the world, and then Jesus entering the world. And then all the gifts that Jesus has brought into the world or spread into the world through his coming. But before we do that, let's pray together. Would you please pray with me again? Father in heaven, we want to stand underneath your word. We want your word to control our thoughts and our lives because we know this is the very best kind of life possible. We need your help today, Lord. We ask that you would open this word to us by your Holy Spirit. Amen. So first, a story. This happened about five years ago, and some of you were there when this story happened, although you won't know the story. This was at a prayer retreat. We haven't gone on a prayer retreat in a while as a church. But were any of you at the prayer retreat that we went to five years ago at Rosemary Heights Retreat Center in White Rock? Raise your hand if you were there. Wow. Okay, well, there were other people there. I think some of you probably were there because I wasn't there by myself. There were probably about 30 or 40 people from our church there. And Rosemary Heights is a beautiful place. It's a place of a lot of silent contemplation. And so we had this retreat, prayer retreat, and Pastor Ryan had done some teaching. And in the afternoon, everyone was sent off to go on their own and spend some time in silence and meditation and prayer. And it was a beautiful summer day. I think it was early summer, maybe in late June. And it was hot outside, and they have these big open fields at Rosemary Heights. And I went outside, and I did what I usually do when I'm told to go and be alone. I tried to get away from everyone else. Everyone went out into the, into the field that was right behind the building, but I knew there must be something behind the far building. And so I kind of headed for a corner wasn't really a path, but you could kind of get between the last building and the, the woods that are there. So I walked around the corner of the building, and I found another grass field. And it was probably, oh, I don't know, the size of a football field. It was huge. And there was no one there at all. It was complete solitude. I love it when I find a place like that. So I walked into the middle of this field, And I started praying 
and meditating. And I brought myself, or God brought me, in, in combination, in working together with God's Spirit, I was brought into a place that I've been to many times before, where I found peace and rest, and I could feel God around me. Have you ever been in that place in prayer? It's as if the world changes all of a sudden, and you're no longer in the world. But you look around, and you see the kingdom of God all around you. And I was in that place that day in the field, and I had a lot of faith. And I just wanted to know God better in that moment. So I said, Lord, show me something. And then I laid down in the field, and I looked up, and there was a rainbow. There was a rainbow encircling the sun. Have you ever seen this before? It's called a sun halo. And sometimes this occurs, and it's just sort of a bright light, but occasionally it will occur, uh, this is what I've read since, it will occur as an entire rainbow with all the colors. I looked up at this rainbow encircling the sun, and I just started laughing. I had asked for God to show me something. I'd never seen one of these before in my life. They're pretty rare. I sat there, I don't know how long, maybe 30, 40 minutes, maybe an hour, praying, full of joy in the spirit. Several other things happened. And finally, the rainbow faded, and it was much dimmer, and then it went away. And so I came back because it was time for more group prayer. I came back to the group, and I was so excited. And I went to one person after another, and I said, Did you see the rainbow? It was incredible. There was this rainbow. What are you talking about, Isaac? No one in the entire group had seen this halo rainbow around the sun. They'd all been outside, only maybe a hundred yards away from where I was. And apparently, I was the only one who saw it. This is, in many ways, the message of Christmas. Are you going to be among the people who can see what is already here? Or will you be among the majority who do not see it at all. John chapter 1. This is an incredible passage, and this week as I've thought about it, I've been amazed at the boldness that John has to utter mysteries that were hidden from the creation of the world, to say things, to write them down that will be so misunderstood and taken for granted, but that are the deepest things in the entire universe. He's very bold and full of faith to do such a thing. The first section of John chapter 1 is actually a, well, a poem or possibly even a song that the early church sang. You'll see if you have a copy of the contemporary English version, which we've read today, it's actually set in verse form. It begins, as we heard already, In the beginning was the one who is called the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was truly God. From the very beginning, the Word 
was with God. And with this word, God created all things. So we have, as John begins, this picture of a universe, our universe, in which there is nothing yet. The very beginning. The creation doesn't exist yet. The earth doesn't exist yet. Even space and time don't exist yet. But there is something John calls the word. You may know that the Greek word written here is logos. L-O-G-O-S. Just like that. This word was well known in Greek philosophy, and it indicated for the Greeks a kind of intelligence and order and power that pervades everything that exists. The Greeks, as many other people, have noticed that the world is orderly, and it has this kind of power within it, a power that creates life, a power that brings order out of chaos, a power that keeps things working, the sun, the earth, everything moving in the way that it should be, a power that pervades everything. And what John does in this passage is he tells us that this power, the power that pervades everything that exists, is a person. It is not just a nameless, faceless power, but it is actually a being, a being. A being who was in the universe, who existed before anything that was created. And this being was with God. And this being, in fact, was God. He was somehow both God and different from God at the same time. Then John goes on to tell us that this power, this logos, actually created everything that exists. With this word, this is the power God used to create all things. Nothing was made without this word. Everything that was created received its life from him, and his life gave light to everyone. I wonder if you believe that God created the world. I wonder if you believe it. I know that all of us probably would say we believe God created the world, but in our culture, there is a very strong bias against believing that the world was created. Most people act like, even if they would say they believe the world was created, they act like the world is simply here. I am just here. Everything that exists is just here. It's not really any big deal. It just came from I don't know where. I guess it just existed on its own. It always was here, and it always will be here. And this is because... We live in a society that is led by universities and academics. And what I mean by this is that our culture for the last two or three hundred years has kind of trailed behind 
whatever the current ideas are in big, important universities. And about 100 or 150 years ago, this was the consensus among people who were well-educated and knew things about the world. The consensus was that the Bible was wrong. The world wasn't actually created. It had always existed, this universe. And people had just developed without any kind of uh, life and human beings and everything that we see developed without any kind of special interaction from a god or anything outside the world. And at that time, 100 or 150 years ago, people in general culture didn't believe that at all. All normal people believed deeply that God had created the world and that their lives were miraculous. But as time went on and those professors who thought these things died, their ideas filtered down into popular culture. Until today, this is the predominant idea. And this is what most of us believe or sort of take in by osmosis as we grow up. But what I want to tell you today is that this is no longer, this is no longer the consensus among scientists and academics. This is no longer the consensus at all. 50 or 100 years from now, popular culture will believe deeply that something outside the universe created it and that life is a miracle because this is now the consensus among physicists, astronomers, and cosmologists. There are two things that have come to be very important as we, or the scientific community, has learned more about the world. Two astonishing things that I want to share with you today. The first is that the universe, everything that exists, was created. It came into existence at a particular point, and it could not have created itself. It was created by something outside of itself. This is, in fact, no longer a serious point of debate among physicists and astronomers. There is a consensus. And the second thing that I want to point out to you today is that it appears very strongly that the entire universe was created so that life could exist. There are many, many facts about our universe that if they were just slightly different than they are, slightly to such a small degree that it's hard even to imagine, life could never, ever have been possible anywhere in the creation. These two facts are astonishing and they are well known in scientific circles. Let me read you a few quotes. You probably, you don't have to believe me. I'm just this young pastor standing up here. First, here's a quote from a man named John O'Keefe, a well-known astronomer at NASA. He says, we are, by astronomical standards, a pampered, cosseted, cherished group of creatures. If the universe had not been made with the most exacting precision, we could never even have come into existence. It is my view that these circumstances indicate the universe was created for man to live in. 
Or here's another quote from Arno Penzias, a Nobel Prize winning physicist. This is a man who was the co-discoverer of background radiation in the universe. And here's what he says. Astronomy leads us to a unique event, a universe which was created out of nothing, one with the very delicate balance needed to provide exactly the right conditions required to permit life, and one which has an underlying, one might say, supernatural plan. The universe is unfolding according to someone's plan, someone who exists outside of the universe. And finally, a quote from Robert Jastrow, another well-known NASA astronomer and cosmologist. I like this one a lot. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak, and as he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. (laughs) The universe was created by God, who exists outside of and beyond it. This is a fact. And I want to impress this upon you as strongly as possible because we cannot understand Christmas or John chapter 1 without believing this very strongly. You didn't need scientists to know that the universe was created by God. All you needed to do was get rid of some ideas you had pulled in from the culture around you. All you have to do to know that God is real and that the universe is was created by him, is simply to open your eyes and look fresh at what is already around you. I want you to do do something weird right now, okay? If you're comfortable with doing something a little strange in a church service, I want you to take your hand and put it out in front of your face. Come on. You can all do it. I want you to take a look at your hand. My wife thinks I'm nuts because I've been staring at my hand lately. Your hand is phenomenally amazing. It can do things that nothing else that human beings have ever created can do. How many of you spend tons of time staring at a smartphone that's sitting in your hand? (laughs) But how much time do you spend staring at the hand itself? You have no idea the complexity that's inside of it. What if you didn't have it? What if it didn't work? If I could suddenly close the doors of the sanctuary with my mind, would you be amazed? I can do far more incredible things than that right now with my hand. It responds to my will directly. All I have to do is think it and it moves in complicated patterns. It is a miracle of God right in front of you. Almost anything, no, anything in all of creation is enough to prove that God exists. The order and the power of God pervade everything that is around you and everything you see. And we take it for granted every day.
I started looking at my hand because of Nathan, you know, baby Nathan. Little babies. Once in your life, you were a little baby, and you were intensely amazed when you realized that you could move your hand. And you stared at it for months. <laughs> we can return to that place, and we must return to it. This power that created the universe, this being, this person who John calls the Word, he is the one who created everything, and his light has continued shining into the world ever since. The only question is, were people able to recognize it or not? He has never been away from the world, and in fact, if he were separated from this universe, it would cease to exist. This word, this logos, is everywhere, and it is in everything. And then John begins to give us the startling, the shocking, to the Greeks who first read this, the offensive reality, the reality of Christmas. He says, beginning at verse 6, God sent a man named John. This is not John, the author of this book, but John the Baptist. He sent a man named John who came to tell about the light and to lead people to have faith. John wasn't that light. He came only to tell about the light, the true light that shines on everyone was coming into the world. The word was in the world, but no one knew him, though God had made the world with his word. He came into the world, but his own nation, even the people who were prepared best to see him, did not welcome him. This is an incredible and startling reality. John is saying that this force that created everything that exists is a personal being and that this being, this being that existed before all, before time itself came into the world as a human being, as a baby of all things. John goes on to say, that it is, there are some people who saw him, even though most of the world didn't recognize him. Verse 11, there were some people who accepted him and who put their faith in him. And this is, I think, John's main point. As I have already said, the word is here. He is here right now. He was here and he came into the world with the coming of Jesus, but not only then, he has remained in the world. He is in fact here now in a way that is stronger and more powerful even than when he came as a baby. His reality in the world today is greater than it was then. Some people can see him and most people cannot. John's message to us as we go into Christmas is this. Are you the kind of person 
who can see him? Or are you not? And if not, what will you do? Thirdly, John tells us that as this word came into the world, he poured out incredible things. The best thing that anyone could ever imagine. Though many people did not recognize him, to those who recognized him, verse 12 says, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Don't take that phrase too lightly. We hear it so many times that maybe it's lost its power for us. What is being said here is that the Son of God, the unique Son of God, has given to those people who recognize and accept Him the right, the power and the ability to become sons and daughters of God. This Word that created the universe, this is the Son of God, right? This is Jesus, who is the Son of God, and he gives to you, he opens a way for you to become what? Like him. He opens a way for you and I to become like him. How many of us really believe that this is true this morning? You can become like the one who created everything that exists? Can that possibly be true? John finishes this passage by telling us in verse 14 again that the Word became a human being. He lived here with us. The Greek word behind this line and sentence is a word that means setting up your tent. Jesus came into the world and set up his tent among our tents. Eugene Peterson, who was a professor at Regent College and who translated the message version of the Bible, translates this line as, he moved into the neighborhood. The word who was before all creation moved into your neighborhood. John stresses that he himself and the other apostles have seen his glory and that they have received all these incredible gifts through him. I'd like to take you on a little thought experiment or exercise to finish the message this morning. So close your eyes, please. Actually, open your eyes. Good job following directions. On the screen, you'll see a picture of two houses. The blue and white one is my house. Nice, huh? Say, oh, that's so nice. Before it was my house, it was the home of another Ebenezer member a long time ago. The house on the left is the house of my neighbor, and this house was recently empty for a long time. Uh, we didn't know if he had moved out. It turned out there was a flood, 
uh, in his house, a water pipe had burst. But we didn't know if he had moved out or what exactly had happened. The house was empty for a long time, and we were wondering, are there going to be new neighbors? Who's going to move into this house right next door to ours? All right, now close your eyes. First, I want you to imagine, picture in your mind the house or the apartment or the condo of one of your immediate neighbors. You can see this home in your mind, at least the outside of it. And I want you to imagine that it is vacant. There's no one living there. Your neighbor moved out. And you're wondering, what kind of neighbor am I going to get? A good neighbor? Someone who I can be friends with? Someone who will invite me over to dinner? Or one of those partiers who stays up too late and wrecks everything? And then one day, as you're watching out your window, looking down your hallway, you see someone moving in to your neighbor's house, the house next door. It's a man, a younger man in his 30s, and he's moving in all by himself. And what strikes you at first is that he's moving in with almost nothing. He's got a backpack, and he says, hi, I'm your new neighbor. And he goes into his house. You watch for a little while to see what kind of person this is going to be next to you, and you notice some strange things about your neighbor and his habits. You notice, first of all, that there's people coming to your neighbor's house at all times, almost every day, different kinds of people. Your other neighbors are gossiping about him. He must be a drug dealer. But then you notice that The people coming to his house are from all different walks of life. Old people, young people, teenagers, people from different races. All kinds of people show up at this man's house. You're wondering what is going on. You notice also that he has very strange habits. He seems to stay up all night You can see through one of his windows, maybe, as you look across the alley or across the way, and you notice him praying very often. Sometimes he goes out in his backyard to pray. One day, you meet him on the street in front of your house, and after just talking to him for a few minutes, you are pervaded by a sense of deep peace like you have never felt before. He invites you over to his house. Why don't you come over and have dinner with me? And so one day you do. As you enter his house and get to know him, you begin to realize that your life changes just by being around this man. There are people walking through his house all the time. People who are thanking him for things that he's done. All the different anxieties that you have had. 
all the different problems in your life seem to melt away in his presence. Eventually, your entire neighborhood is galvanized by this man who's moved in. Some people are completely against him, and others are completely for him. The neighborhood has become united, almost like one body, those who know him and care about him. But all the rest are his enemies. Eventually, as you've gotten to know him better, and as time goes on, you come to realize that what has moved in next door to you is not a mere human being. It is something or someone who is unlike and beyond anything you have ever experienced before. You are so excited by this massive change that has come into the world, into your very own neighborhood, that you are ready to give up your job, give up your life, give up anything that he asks you and follow him. You can open your eyes now. John is telling us what happened to him. That the word of God, this being that existed before time and space, became a human being and entered his neighborhood, entered his life. He was so incredibly excited by this that he dropped everything that he had ever known and followed after this one. But most people didn't recognize him. They didn't notice or realize who he was. He is here now. He is in your neighborhood. He is in your home. He is in our church in a way that is more powerful even than the way he was with John. Can you see it? This Christmas, I challenge you to become the kind of person who can see, who can see what's really around you. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We know you are here, but we don't always feel it. We don't always know in our deepest place, in our soul, that you are with us. God, please open our eyes. Please help us to know you. Please help us to follow after you and become the people who are like Jesus, the Son of God. take your hymn books at this time.